Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today we are hitting our last episode in the Historical Mentor series. I've really enjoyed diving into the lives of these amazing women throughout history, and today I want to highlight specific statements that these set-apart women have made that have impacted me. There are so many amazing statements from these women and others, but I'm just going to feature a few that I feel are worth just coming back to time and time again, statements that can build our faith and lead us closer to Christ and encourage us when we're feeling weak or discouraged. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that this is a great time to register for our 2024 Set Apart Conference. It's happening June 7th through 9th in Colorado at our Ellerslie campus, or really, you can tune in anywhere you are in the world via simulcast. This is just an amazing weekend to share with a friend, a mother-daughter weekend, a sister weekend, bringing a whole group. And right now, you can get discounts on early bird pricing as well as group pricing for two or more. So I encourage you to click the link in this podcast description or go to setapart.org and click on events and you can learn how you can join us for next year's conference. We would love to have you there. Let's talk about life-changing statements from set-apart women in history. And the first handful of statements that I want to highlight are from Amy Carmichael, which is not surprising because she's probably one of the most quotable missionaries in history. She was just excellent with expressing truth in a really beautiful way, and she wrote so many books that are so rich with deep, biblical, inspiring truth. And one specific poem that she wrote, I even put music to it and made it into a song just for myself at one point because it was so inspiring to me. And part of the poem says this, give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope that no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod, make me thy fuel, flame of God. And I remember hearing an interview once from Leonard Ravenhill, who was this fiery, passionate evangelist who really focused and emphasized purity in the church and prayer and going after revival. And he actually quoted this poem as well and talked about the fact that Amy Carmichael's life backed up those words. She looked at her life as the fuel of God. She did not hold anything back. She made herself completely and fully available to leave everything comfortable, leave everything familiar, and go wherever he called her to go and live a sacrificial poured out life. And she didn't do that out of a sense of obligation or duty, or I just have to do this because it's the right thing to do. She truly had that passionate desire to bring glory to Jesus Christ and to make herself fully available and lay down her life for the sake of the gospel. And as Leonard Ravenhill said, this woman didn't weigh over 100 pounds. She took a one-way ticket to the mission field. And he compared that with modern mindsets towards missions and ministry where we're very self-focused and will only give to a certain point. She gave everything she had to give, and she lived that way until the end of her life. I believe that one of the best takeaways for us when we read words like this, make me thy fuel, O flame of God, is basically just to live with a mentality that says, Lord, no sacrifice is too great for me to make for the one who gave everything for me. And it is so easy to hold back and to be self-protective, and yet it is so safe to place our lives, our futures, everything in the hands of the one who gave everything for us. Another quote from Amy Carmichael that I come back to quite frequently is this, 
It is a safe thing to trust him to fulfill the desires that he creates. Isn't that so true? Oftentimes we have a desire in our heart, and maybe it's even a God-given desire, but we feel this frantic need to humanly solve that desire and fulfill that desire. So maybe it's a desire for marriage and family, and you're in your single years. It can be so tempting to run out there and look for a solution to try to solve that issue in your life. I have this desire to be married. I need to meet someone. So what can I do to make it happen? So doing online dating and just going out there and trying to meet guys and just being as aggressive and proactive as we can in that area. And yet it is so safe to simply place that desire back in his hands and say, Lord, you have placed this desire in my heart. I trust you to fulfill it in your own time, in your own way. It is a safe thing to trust him to fulfill the desires that he creates. One of the best takeaways from a quote like this can be found in Psalm 34, where he says that when we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our hearts. That does not mean he gives us whatever we want in our flesh and our own selfish human desire. It means that as we build our life around him, he places his desires within us so that he can fulfill them in his own perfect time and way. He gives us the desires of our heart and it is safe to trust him that if they are desires he has placed within us, he will fulfill them. Another amazing statement from Amy Carmichael that has so encouraged me during difficult, lonely times is this, bare heights of loneliness, a wilderness whose burning winds sweep over glowing sands. What are they to him? Even there, he can refresh us. Even there, he can renew us. And I love that because it reminds me that Jesus is enough, even in our loneliest times, even when it feels like no one can possibly understand what we're walking through. He is able and willing to be our all in all, to be the God of all comfort, even in the most extreme times of loneliness, if we will allow him to be. And there have been times when I've gone back to that statement and reminded myself that even in those places that feel so bleak and desolate, even there he can refresh us because loneliness and destitution and disappointment and heartache, that is not intimidating to him. And his love and his comfort and his presence is so much more powerful than any of those things, as long as we allow him to be that to us. One of her other statements, which I don't actually have the exact quote in front of me, but it has to do with, is God willing to fill us with all of himself? And she says, he is as willing as light is willing to flood a room once we open those curtains. And that's oftentimes how it is with the comfort of God, the presence of God in our lives. We have to open ourselves to receive it, but he is ready and willing to flood us with his presence and his grace and his comfort. Another statement Amy Carmichael made in one of her books is this, a cup brimful of sweetness cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, no matter how suddenly jarred. That is a very convicting statement to me because I feel like in those moments of the day when we're jarred, when we're jostled, when somebody says something rude to us or does something that we don't like, it is so easy to allow bitterness or resentment or selfishness to come out versus the sweetness in the life of Christ. And I feel like this quote reminds me that letting Christ purify and refine me from the inside out needs to impact my daily conversations, my reactions to my family, to other people. And so constantly asking him to make me like gold refined in the fire so that it impacts my daily interactions with people in a positive way. Now, I will say I have not gotten to the place in my life where a cup brimful of sweetness cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, no matter how suddenly jarred, because there are moments when I am suddenly jarred and it's not sweetness that comes out. But that reminds me that I need to go back to the cross and say, Lord, refine this area of my life. Make me like you. Only he can enable us to respond 
with sweetness instead of irritation when we are suddenly jarred. And that is the miracle he delights to do in us when we surrender to it. I'd like to share a few quotes from Mary Slessor, and these are some that I did share in the episode that we did on her, but they're so important and so worth coming back to. If you haven't caught the episode that I did on her, she was a missionary who went to places in the world that other missionaries wouldn't go, places where most other missionaries wouldn't even last. And you can see as you study her life how God was kind of taking her through the school of hard knocks when she was younger. She had an alcoholic father. Her family lived in poverty. She had to work in the factories just to make ends meet. And she was very, very tough because she went through so much, and yet that prepared her for this incredible calling on her life to go into the deepest parts of unreached Africa where there was so much darkness and superstition. And the possibility of her surviving even for very long was very small. And yet this is what she said, why should I fear? I am on a royal mission. I am in the service of the King of Kings. Lord, the task is impossible for me, but not for thee. Lead the way and I will follow. Now that is the mindset that gave her the ability to go into extremely dangerous situations and thrive and make an impact for the gospel. I believe the takeaway from that statement is this. There is no reason for us to ever fear. We need to remember that we are on a royal mission. We are in the service of the King of all kings, and we have the strength of heaven backing us up. So even if it's just one small step of obedience, one step forward to discipling your children or sharing the gospel with someone in your life, there should be no room for fear fear or hesitation when we remember that we are on a royal mission and the things that feel most impossible to us are possible with God. And that statement always bolsters my faith. Catherine Booth is another woman that we have highlighted in this series, and a couple of her statements really constantly impact me and convict me. One statement she talked about reaching the lost, and she said, if your neighbors were sick of some devastating plague and you had the cure, would you not go to them? Would you say, oh, I'm a woman, I can't go, or maybe I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too busy, etc.? No, you would say, let me go, like Miss Nightingale did to the sick and wounded soldiers. And these are not the bodies, but the souls. They are going to an eternal death, will you not rise up? And that just puts everything into perspective when it comes to the lost around us, because it is so easy to turn a deaf ear and a blind eye and think, well, somebody else will deal with that. And she is saying, we need to realize that they are sick of a devastating plague known as sin and separation from God. And we have the cure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to passionately go after the souls around us? Another one of her statements, she said this, you are not here in the world for yourself. You have been sent here for others. The world is waiting for you. What an amazing reminder, especially this time of year when we can be so self-focused and so preoccupied with our own cares. And as we head into a new year, it's all about what do I want out of this year? But she says, you are not here in the world for yourself. You have been sent here for others. The world is waiting for you. Her entire focus was one of aggressive, proactive Christianity. Basically, that means going after the souls around her in a very purposeful and proactive way. And I feel like the takeaway for me is that I am to be proactive, not passive, when it comes to praying for lost souls and reaching them, going after them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another statement that Catherine Booth made was this, when the church and the world can jog comfortably together, you may be sure something is wrong. The world is not altered. Its spirit is exactly the same as it ever was. And if Christians were equally faithful and devoted to the Lord and separated from the world, living so that their lives were a reproof to all ungodliness, the world would hate them as much as it ever did. 
Our takeaway here is this, let us not be surprised when the world despises and disregards us because it means we're doing something right. It's so easy to fall into this modern Christianity mindset that thinks we need to be like the world in order to reach them. In fact, I've heard that from many Christians. I heard it once from even a Christian women's ministry leader who did not like this message of set apartness from the world. She said, we have to be like the world, otherwise we will never reach them. If the world doesn't like us, we can't reach them with the gospel. That's actually the opposite of what Jesus says. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Do not be surprised. Do not think it's strange when you are hated by this world. It means you are on the right track. And even though people will despise and misunderstand and mock us, there will be those few that are captivated by the set-apartness in our life, that we are living separate from the world and our lives are a reproof to all ungodliness. Most of the world will hate and despise us, but there will be those hungry souls that want to know more. Darlene Dibler is another woman that we featured in this series, and there's one quote specifically that is always such an encouragement to me when I'm going through something difficult. She was at the worst most devastating place in her entire life where she had lost her husband, lost most of her missionary friends. She was separated from all friends and family. The war was raging. It did not look hopeful. She was in a concentration camp. She was being beaten. She was starving. She was being tortured. There was death and disease and destruction all around her. And this is what she said. I discovered when I took my eyes off the circumstances that were overwhelming me, over which I had no control, and looked up, my Lord was there. Deep in my heart, he whispered, I'm here. Even when you don't see me, I'm here. Never for a moment are you out of my sight. And I love that. I feel like the takeaway for me is that even when I can't see it, he is with me, lovingly working all things together for my good. He will never leave me or forsake me. And one of the things I love about this statement from Darlene is that this became true in her life. The end of her story is one of victory and redemption. It didn't end with that devastation. It ended with incredible triumph and redemption and God creating beauty out of ashes. Another statement that she made was right when she got put into solitude military confinement on death row in a Japanese Kempeitai prison. She was falsely accused of being an American spy. And when she was locked into death row, she knew that she was cut off from the entire world. She had no way of getting any kind of help or comfort, but she said, I was not fighting against those walls because my Lord was there with me. My prison cell became my sanctuary. How truly it was written, iron bars do not imprison me. And I love that she was so aware of the presence of God that she wasn't fighting against that prison cell anymore. Then there's Elizabeth Elliot, who is also a very quotable woman in history. But one of my favorites is this, obedience to God is always possible. It is a deadly error to fall to the notion that when feelings are extremely strong, we can do nothing but act on them. What an important reminder for us as women, because it is so tempting to be led by our emotions. Truth must always be our guide, not our emotions. And she is basically saying that it is possible to command our emotions into alignment with the spirit of God. And one of the ways that I've applied this principle in my life is to not 
ask myself the question, how do I feel about this when it comes to a difficult relationship or a difficult circumstance or something I feel I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not really that excited to be doing? It's not how do I feel about this? It's what does God say about this? And when I go to the Word of God and I look at truth as my guide, I find that my emotions do come into alignment with His truth. But it is an exercise of soul to say, Lord, give me the grace to take that step forward of obedience, even when my emotions are saying the opposite. And may you bring my emotions into alignment with your truth. And that's a prayer that he has answered in my lifetime and time again. And then there's Corey Ten Boom, again, a very quotable woman in history. I just want to highlight a few of her statements that have meant a lot to me. One is this, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free only to find out that that prisoner was me. Isn't that interesting because we so often think of forgiveness as benefiting the person that we're forgiving, but it's actually a freedom for us, for our own soul. And she has so many amazing stories about forgiveness and the freedom and the grace and the blessing that flowed into her life when she took that step of obedience. She became free from that prison of bitterness and resentment because it really is a prison. It keeps our soul in prison. It keeps us hindered in our relationship with Christ until we make that decision by God's grace to forgive. And she talked about a specific time in her life where she had to forgive Christian friends that hurt her in ministry. And she said that was even harder than forgiving some of the prison guards and the Nazis and the people who betrayed her family and caused her family's death. Isn't that so interesting? Because you expect more from Christians. It's almost easier to forgive people who are given over to darkness because they know not what they do versus Christian friends who hurt us. And I've definitely walked through that in my own life. But forgiveness is setting a prisoner free only to find out that that prisoner was me. Another quote that she has said that I have always gone back to in times of pouring out in ministry is this, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows through you. This was so proven true in my life. The first several years that I was in full-time ministry with my husband, Eric, we were confused, exhausted, everything felt tedious, and we were trying to do it in our own strength. It wasn't until we understood that work of the Holy Spirit that we simply needed to allow him to do the ministry that he had to do that through us, that we got to a place where we had endurance and resilience to go the distance in ministry. When we are in a place of self-reliance in ministry, we are going to burn out very quickly. Another statement Corey has made that is just so encouraging to me and to so many other people who have gone through hard things is this. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And I believe that statement actually originated from Betsy, her sister, when they were in the concentration camp together and they saw so much hurt and death and dying and destruction and hatred and abuse all around them. And they clung to that promise, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And even though Betsy died in the concentration camp, she emerged from that season of her life victorious, clinging to the promises of God, and God's grace was poured out upon her and upon Corey, as they said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And I think the takeaway here is that no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how badly you feel you've messed things up, God's love is deeper. It is greater than all of our sin. When we bring that sin to the cross, when we repent and turn, when we allow his grace to enable us to walk the way he's called us to walk, his love is victorious over any darkness in our lives.
And lastly, I want to finish with a quote from Jackie Pullinger. She's not someone that I highlighted in this series, but she's certainly someone that has had an impact on my life. And she spent most of her life pouring out for the destitute in China, going to places that most other missionaries will not go and going to places even that law enforcement often wouldn't go and just really living among the poorest of the poor and bringing the gospel to them. And she said this, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. What a convicting statement because hard feet meaning feet that are willing and ready to go share the gospel. It says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so often our feet are too soft to go bring good news because we are living in self-protection and comfort. And we have hard hearts towards the truth, hard hearts toward the calling of God. So to shift that, to ask God for the grace, to shift that in our lives for soft hearts and hard feet, willingness to get out of our comfort zone, willingness to make ourselves available for the sake of the souls around us, for the sake of the souls on the other side, of the world. The takeaway really is this. There must be action to our faith. It can't just be words. It can't just be going to church on Sunday. There has to be a life that backs it up, a life that becomes the hands and the feet of Christ to a lost and dying world. So these are some quotes that I hope you will be blessed by and go back to, depending on what you're walking through. There are so many different poignant statements here that speak to us in the different seasons of our life. Some of them may speak more loudly to you than others, and that usually means that's an area of your life God is pinpointing or highlighting. So I hope these have encouraged you. You can also read and study the lives of all of these women and find just a treasure trove of other statements that are so biblically based and so spiritually refreshing. So I encourage you to do that. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, I encourage you to visit our website, setapart.org, and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed week and a Christ-centered holiday season.